This is Defender Radio. Defender Radio is brought to you by Gates Wildlife Control and the Association for the Protection of Fur-Bearing Animals. It's the week of August 11, 2014, and this is Michael Howie welcoming you to a very special episode of Defender Radio. What am I going to do here? This is like a horrific experience. and um, But I can't walk away. I can't leave her like that. I can't leave this creature suffering. That was Paula Tuff, who spoke with Defender Radio in late January 2014. Paula had been out with a friend and their dogs near Algonquin Park when they came across what appeared to be a wolf caught in a snare. The wire had cut into the animal's leg deeply, and the nearby damage and scat showed he had been caught for at least three or four days. Paula took extraordinary action. With the help of a friend, she was able to cut the snare, load the animal into a crate, and drive it straight down to Aspen Valley Wildlife Center. The initial outlook was not good for the animal, who was eventually discovered to be a young Algonquin koi wolf. His leg had to be amputated, due to the severity of the injury. But with the hard work of volunteers and staff at Aspen Valley, as well as a whole lot of guts on the part of the koi wolf, he was successfully released in the first week of August. Joining us is Julie Woodyear of Aspen Valley Wildlife Sanctuary, who connected with the Fender Radio to discuss the rehabilitation of the koi wolf, his release, and what it may mean for the future of injured wildlife. Let's start at the beginning of the story. It was late January, and a woman named Paula Tuff had gotten in touch with Aspen Valley Wildlife Sanctuary about this, what at the time everyone thought was a wolf um, that had been caught by a snare and uh, rather severely injured. Um, so what? let's start there. What happened um, once uh, Aspen Valley got the call? Well, we brought the animal into our facility, and it was obviously a serious injury to the leg from the snare. Um, it was a koi wolf in the end. Some people call them Algonquin wolves, since most of the species in Algonquin Park now are the hybrid. Anyway, um, the leg had to be removed, ultimately. We tried to uh, cast it and, and see if it would take, but there would have been too much nerve damage. So the leg had to be removed. And that put us in a dilemma because releasing a three-legged animal is not a popular idea uh, amongst the government and certainly not amongst rehabbers either. But we felt that since there are three-legged animals that um, end up in that situation in the wild and make a living in the wild, that it was our duty to give this animal another chance. And because we have large acreage enclosures and natural habitat, we have the ability to properly assess how the animal's going to be able to negotiate and run and, you know, jump over obstacles and all of the things that they'll need to do in order to hunt. So uh, we went through that process. We rehabilitated the animal. He was in our, our hospital setting for quite a number of months, and then finally we were able to put him out into the large enclosure. And he took to it right away. And by the time um, late summer, well, midsummer, I guess, had rolled around, he was negotiating his way through that environment with ease and even hunting. Wow. And that, that really goes to show the, uh, the tenacity of these uh, wild animals that's lost a leg, but life goes on. Yes. Well, you know, that instinct to survive, I think, is really strong. 
and this this particular animal has a has a strong will and was otherwise in very good physical health. So um, you know, it, it's a success story as far as we're concerned. We um, was it a week ago? We collared him, put a radio collar on him, and released him. We don't disclose the location of release because we don't want him to be interfered with. But um, let's just say it's in an area not known uh, for a lot of trapping and uh, away from human um, areas that he might get into trouble. Although, of course, he's been traveling significantly. We're tracking him by satellite now, and we've had people on the ground as well um, collecting scat so that we can determine what he's eating. Um, and we DNA tested him before he went out so that when we gather the scat, we can trace it back to him as an individual. Mm-hmm. Now, why why is it important in this case to, uh, to collar someone that you've uh, rehabilitated and released? Yeah, normally we don't collar animals. I mean, the collars themselves are about $6,000. We were lucky in this case that we were loaned a collar. Um, but it is an expensive proposition and, and very time-consuming as well. We felt it was very important with this animal because... Everybody said you can't do it. You can't have a three-legged animal and release them into the wild and that they will be successful. And, you know, we talked to lots of biologists about observations of three-legged animals that were already making a living in the wild, and we felt differently. So it's important to us now to track it, make sure he's doing okay, certainly for his own sake, but also to set a precedent so that people aren't just writing off an animal simply because it lost a leg, that they, that they feel that they you know, it's worth investing in the animal and trying giving that animal a chance to, to go back to the wild again. All right. And um, in terms of uh, kilometers, how far has he traveled in that, that first week? Uh, well, he went out and back quite a bit. Um, so he, he sort of branched out and then came back in the general vicinity where he was released and back and forth. So, but total kilometers um, during that period was probably about 25 or 30 kilometers. And then just in the last day or two, he decided to go straight line north. And um, he's traveled about 17 kilometers from where he was released straight north now. So either he's hooked up with somebody else, um, which of course would be the ideal situation for him, or he maybe is just continuing to explore to find out where's the best spot for him. It's truly remarkable, um, just the the speed of recovery and the distance he's traveling. Um, again, I, you know, you look and you uh, like I I hurt my knee when I was a teenager, and I think I was in bed for a week. Um, and you've got this this koi wolf who has lost a leg and is now traveling around just like new. Um, it, it really, it really is remarkable. Uh, it's hard to kind of wrap your head around it. Well, we were, we, you know, we had grand ideas of filming the release, which it was filmed, but you couldn't see him for more than about three seconds. He was gone like a shot. <laughs> <laughs> I, I, I've been to a few of those and it, it is always great too, because they, you open the door and they just run far and straight and then they stop and look back. That's right. They always do that one little quick look back. And this guy was already, well, we also released him um, late in the day when there was lower light levels, uh, which, you know, to his benefit, right? To, that he, he has some time in the late evening to acclimatize to where he is when he's not feeling exposed and all of that. Anyway, um, but yeah, he turned, he was just inside the forested area, glanced back and then gone. <laughs> <laughs> That's great to hear. Um, now, 
what I, I guess this is a story that to me, I mean, when we originally spoke with Politoff, it was a very upsetting story. Um, you know, she had come across this animal and he had been in the snare for days upon days. Um, lots of, I, I don't even know how to describe it, but in the local media, um, between my organization and the trappers, there was a lot of mudslinging, more or less. Uh, a lot of minor threats of interfering with trap lines and who's at fault for what. But to me, the ultimate story here is really uh, two parts. One, it's about survival. As we've already said a couple of times, the the ability of, of this animal to not only persevere in dire situation of being snared for four or five days in the middle of winter um but then to be able to find that strength to uh with obviously with aspen valley's help rehabilitate and go forward with life but it's also very much about compassion um and that's a subject that is difficult sometimes to broach um what is it do you think i mean your staff and your your colleagues what did they take away from this story? Well, you know, for us, it's always about the individual animal. And a lot of the criticism that we receive as a rehab facility is that if this animal isn't um, endangered, if the species themselves is not endangered, why save them? And we've never looked at things that way. We see the individual when it comes in. And the people that bring them in, Paula, for instance, she's a very brave woman. She went up and she actually cut the animal loose, put it in a crate, and brought it to us. It's a pretty brave thing to do when you're dealing with, you know, a large carnivore like a, a koi wolf. And she obviously had compassion and saw him as an individual as well. So that's the, the big stumbling block for us is to try to educate the public and, you know, and the, and the folks within the Ministry of Natural Resources that, that look at animals as a species. And, and granted, I understand that, you know, they... They have barely enough funding to do what they do. But uh, at the same time, it's frustrating for us to be criticized for caring for individuals. And, uh, you know, we look at it like everyone only has one life, including ourselves and including that wolf. And um, so, you know, it's up to us as a compassionate organization to make sure that we do everything that within our capacity to provide that individual with their life back. We'll be right back after these words from our sponsors. You're listening to Defender Radio. First, they tear a hole in your roof. Then they get in, destroying your insulation, chewing your electrical wiring. Raccoons and squirrels are eating away at your biggest investment, your home. I am Brad Gates of Gates Wildlife Control. Don't wait any longer. Call Gates Wildlife Control will humanely get them out and keep them out. We will come to your house and provide you with a no-obligation free estimate. Please visit us at gateswildlifecontrol.com or call 416-750-9453. Bearsmart.com is the most comprehensive resource on the web for all things bear. At Bearsmart.com, we work hard to ensure people and bears safely and respectfully coexist. Join us as we give bears a voice at bearsmart.com. Have you ever heard a coyote sing? Did you know that coyotes are also called North America's song dogs? 
They communicate through unique howls, yips, and barks. At Coyote Watch Canada, we're committed to fostering peaceful coexistence for communities and their wildlife neighbors by building compassionate wildlife communities one community at a time. Please visit us at coyotewatchcanada.com for more information and tips about this amazing Keystone species. Every year, dogs, cats, endangered species, and even people are caught in cruel leg hold, conibear, and other body gripping traps across Canada. Who will speak out for these innocent victims of an outdated industry? We will. I'm Leslie Fox, Executive Director of the Association for the Protection of Fur-Bearing Animals. With your support, we can bring an end to the needless and painful deaths of hundreds of thousands of animals. Become a member today at furbearerdefenders.com to find out how you can give hope for our fur-bearing friends. This is Defender Radio. We're back with more from Julie Woodyear of Aspen Valley Wildlife Sanctuary, who joined Defender Radio to discuss the rehabilitation of a savagely injured koi wolf by a snare near Algonquin Park earlier this year, and what his release means for the future of injured wildlife. We, we are constantly struggling with people saying that they're a nuisance and that they're, um, you know, they're a pest and they kill livestock and eat babies and do all of these other horrible things. <laughs> now, you, you had this guy in, in the care of Aspen Valley for several months. Yes. What from those observations would you put out to people who see these animals as pests and predators and evildoers of the land? Yes. Well, most of the animals people consider to be predators are actually extremely shy animals. Certainly, this koi wolf was an extremely shy animal. I personally had the opportunity to see him briefly, even though I don't work physically with the animals at the sanctuary, but because I'm the chair of the board and, you know, was participating in this and had to come up with the funding to make it all happen, I got to see him. And he was just the shyest little soul you've ever seen, just cowering in the corner, doesn't want anything to do with his not aggressive in any way, shape, or form. And yet, when put out into the big enclosure, you know, just, just went off and did his thing. He didn't turn back to look to see what the humans were going to help him or not with in that enclosure. He went to the furthest location. That's the reality. We find the same thing with bears. People are so scared of bears and this whole business about the spring bear hunt, you know, to, in order to protect people because of these aggressive predators. The fact is bears are extremely shy animals. They don't want anything to do with um, humans. And if you come across an adult bear and you simply make noise, they'll turn the other way and be gone unless you're somehow, um, you know, got them trapped into a corner or something. And then, of course, they're going to have to use their strength in order to escape. Mm -hmm. Well, and that's uh, an ongoing issue across Canada is people perceiving animals as more than they are or uh, attributing to them fears. Um, and that's, I, I had actually spoken with a professor back when I was working for a newspaper and started getting involved with wildlife. And he said the combination of folklore along with an instinctual fear of anything with large teeth um, causes us to have this unrealistic fear of coyotes and wolves. Um, and that's that's part of our evolutionary history, right? I mean, yes, and it seems the sad thing is people are either drawn to animals and do silly things like feed them so that they can see them regularly, which of course puts the animals in jeopardy, or they're completely terrified of them. 
there seems to be very little of the middle ground, which is where the truth lies, and that is you can observe wildlife at a distance, at a safe distance, and still be able to enjoy it, and yet... and give the animal the freedom to go about their life. Yeah, and that's the concept of keeping wildlife wild, which is at times very difficult to put across. But as we know, I mean, you look at the ecotourism industry in BC and it's billions of dollars coming in from people who want to see wildlife. Um, So it's certainly something that um, we all need to be aware of is that, you know, it's a natural resource, but not in terms of a dead animal. It's a natural resource in terms of people really enjoy seeing these animals. And we just need to educate people and make sure that we don't have issues. Um, That's right. And and the best way to educate them is to provide them a safe opportunity to view the animals in the wild. And that's when they'll really start to understand, this animal isn't a predator coming after me. He or she is just out there living their life and wants to be left alone. Yep. Yep. Much like me. I try and tell people that all the time, but in downtown <laughs> Hamilton, they don't listen. I hear you. Um, <laughs> uh, now, what's what's next? Um, we You have successfully taken in, rehabilitated, and released this coyote. You're doing some monitoring of, the, uh, of his movements uh, as he travels. What's the long-term plan here? The idea is we want to take this and develop it as a case study, document it properly, and then um, put it out there to the other rehab and also to the government agencies to show them that there can be some successes. And, you know, the ways to go about it is careful documentation, careful assessment of the animal, raising them in the right environment, rehabbing them in the right environment. Like this, this animal, for instance, would probably not have been successful if they were at a small center where they couldn't have acreage to, to redevelop the physical skills needed in order to hunt again. So that was really important. Um, And also because we can provide that kind of space, the animal actually doesn't see us, doesn't see many humans. I don't mean to be um, suggesting that he doesn't know we're there. Of course he does. Animals are very astute about that. But that it's just that you're not in the animal's face every day feeding and so on, that you're providing opportunities for them to feed themselves. So that's a really important lesson. Um, and, you know, hopefully the government's going to look at this and realize that in the eyes of the general public, protecting the individual animal is really important as well as the species. Yeah. And that's something um, Mark Beckoff has uh, spoken to me about on numerous occasions. And he actually has a book coming out in September or October about compassionate conservation. And it really does start to focus in on the individuals and recognizing individuals matter, not just a species as a whole or a giant geographic space, but each individual has this intelligence and compassion and consciousness, and that needs to be recognized. Yes, for sure. I mean, look at the the moose hunting and the impact it's had on that population. People say, well, the moose population is still high. So it's okay to go out and have the hunt. But the problem is they're hunting out all the adult moose. And so you're ending up with these immature females. And we've been finding that um, the immature females, when they're giving birth to their first calf, very often they don't feed the calf right away um, because for whatever reason they don't have that learning. And that if the animal doesn't get the colostrum in the first day or two of life, they're heavily subject to infections, and most moose calves that come into rehab centers die because of that. So if they've hunted out a particular group of animals 
that would be responsible in the long run for the survival of the species, but there's no consideration of that. They just say, well, there's lots of animals, so let's go hunting. And uh, so the, the, I've got two questions left. The first one is to all of the people who have played a role in this, from Politoff who found the koi wolf trapped, to the people who supported you financially and through social media and in the news, which, as you and I both know, as I said, was, was a bit of a rough patch for everybody, uh, straight through to the release points, what do you want to tell them? What What's the message you want them to have? Well, I would say that it took an entire community to rescue and rehabilitate this animal and to give that animal their life back. And that that time was extremely well spent and that we should continue to do it for the next animal and the one after that. Excellent. And um, people who want to be involved with rehabilitation, um, now you're up uh, Muskoka region, I believe. Is that correct? Yeah, we're up in Rosso, just outside of Rosso, um, which is between Huntsville and Perry Sound. We're always looking for volunteers. In fact, we have volunteers come to our facility from all around the world to learn how to deal with wildlife. And many of those go off to careers to helping animals themselves. We require a minimum of a one-month stay. We have bunkhouses on our property. Um, but they will have a unique opportunity to deal with a variety of different species and also to deal with them in a natural habitat environment. To learn more about Aspen Valley Wildlife Sanctuary, visit aspenvalley.ca. The original interviews with Paula Tuff can also be heard through the links on this week's Defender Radio blog. That's the show for this week, folks. I'd like to offer a sincere thanks to everyone involved with this great story including Paula Tuff and all the folks at Aspen Valley Wildlife Sanctuary. I'd also like to thank Brad Gates of Gates AAA Wildlife Control for his ongoing support of this program. Until next time, this is Michael Howie reminding you to stay informed and stay strong.